everybody. Welcome to Recording is Eligible. It is our season wrap-up, um, and yeah, this is just fun celebration plus questions. It was a good season. Nothing to com- Well, there's stuff to complain about. That's what we do here, but mostly nothing to complain about. And uh, to help review everything and defensive coordinators and good games and bad games, first in Urban Wauwatosa, making his second triumphant return in as many weeks. <laughs> hey, it's J.R. Radcliffe. Trending sports reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Uh, it's it's not going to be the same without Matub, but uh, but we're gonna we're gonna soldier yeah. through. Matt he's got, not gonna he's not gonna chime in ten minutes from now. I'm he, he he might. <laughs> but, uh, well, he Matt, might Matt is he allegedly tied up with something, so uh, we do not have Matt. But in his stead, uh, which is good because we have a lot of questions kind of in this person's wheelhouse. Uh, joining us from the general Indianapolis area uh, is of course. And I'm Matt, but you cannot know. <laughs> I'm Tyler Brook, and I wrote a book. It's good to see you guys. It feels like it's been uh, three years. I think last time we talked to you, Jordan Love was still bad. I think that's all. I I did roast myself later in the season, like quote tweeting an old tweet of mine that was AI art of Drake May in a Packers uniform. (laughs) I mean, we were all there. Uh, Honestly, one of the good the things about the season is this hasn't happened before. Uh, yeah. Like, it just hasn't. It's never happened before, this kind of turnaround. Like, Jordan Love was objectively bad for the first half of the season, whatever, half-ish of the season, and ended up as a top-10 quarterback in almost all quarterback metrics. I I don't think that's a thing. Like, I, it didn't ha- Josh Allen took two full seasons and then became good. Um, you know, it, there's, it's, there's, it's unprecedented. So all of our bad predictions, I think, are at least somewhat excusable. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to just toe the line for myself on that because you know i made as many bad ones as everybody my my little brother never lost faith so i gotta give him a shout out but he is also the most irrational emotional backers fan (laughs) yeah i think paul you mentioned the pittsburgh game as one of the frustrating losses of the season at some point in the rundown yes I, i i was completely at ease in that game because that was i'd reached acceptance the packers were not going to go to the playoffs or anything ridiculous. So like, you know, air it out at the end, bad interception. It's okay. It's all learning. They're showing signs. They're probably going to have a top 10 pick. Yep. You know, that's certainly where my head was at. I didn't think that there was anything wrong with losing that game. And then in retrospect, man, it would have been nice to, to have won that game. But I wonder Paul, cause you mentioned Josh Allen took a couple years. D- does it change the calculus at all? Seeing it happen with such a young core you know, because because that's one of the talking points here is that because they had to learn yeah. how to become NFL players too, like maybe more has to be put on that side of things. You know that it isn't just the quarterback who's acclimating; it's also rookies and second year pass catchers. Like I, I don't know, I don't know how you know where you can weight that to say that's that it was Jordan Love who got better or it was the players who got better. It's very difficult to, for for me to figure that out. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it's it's also kind of an unprecedented team for that reason. Usually. When you have a young quarterback like Love, you do try to have a couple veterans around to ease the transition, even if they're not super great veterans. You don't build a team like this, and it is actually a little hard to parse them because they do have so many young weapons that also grew at the same time, and all of them are kind of good in different ways. Um, so I like. I think I'm convinced Love is good. I'm convinced a lot of their weapons are good, and I'm convinced Lafleur is good. But I do think it was all of them maturing together that turned everybody on the team, on the offense anyway, not defense, into I, good I, players. I think I'm a little anxious still about this offseason because, you know, I've heard a lot of great points. Like, you know, the, the easy one to say is like, yeah, it's a young team. Like, they'll be even better next year. But 
I've also heard that mm-hmm. counter argument that like nothing's guaranteed. Yeah. Like, and that is, I think, why I love football so much. You never know. <laughs> I'm so, with like, you. I... it's an incredibly important offseason. Can the, these young kids mentally bounce back from a heartbreaker and just go into the offseason hungry? And, like, for my money, I will say yes. I think Jordan Love's kind of the leader for it. Uh, you got another leader and veteran in Aaron Jones kind of leading the pack. Um, and all these wide receivers got so much better it as did. the season went on. I'll tell you oh where I gosh. will be insufferable next year. I will be insufferable on Watson over Wicks. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think um, I'm not out on Watson. I, I still like the talent, but I, I did some research for this rundown on especially the bad games, and almost every love interception was a late throw to Christian Watson that he got either outfought for or just didn't run the right route on. And, you know, then he got hurt, and he had, like, one good game this year. Um, and then in the playoffs, I feel like some of their early season bad stuff showed up. I feel like the the Musgrave kind of dumb slat, flat routes kind of resurfaced a little bit. And Watson, he didn't have a ton of targets. He had, like, two targets. But I feel like he was in a lot. He played, like, 80% of snaps, and Wicks played, like, 40% of snaps. And I, don't, I, I liked it better when Watson was out, and they were spreading it around a little bit more. So I'm... Preview of next year is me complaining about that a lot. Hey, that's the beauty of offseason, though. <laughs> Plenty of self-scouting is going to be happening. So. Yeah, hopefully so. And that's true. You're right about that. <sighs> We're in the middle of the college basketball season. And, Tyler, what you said resonates with me watching college basketball. There's so many teams that, oh, they bring everybody back. And uh, apples to oranges, whatever, football and basketball, different different animal. But, like, they bring everybody back. They're going to be amazing. And then they lose a bunch of games that they're not supposed to. It just, it I'm just an never, IU fan. I know what works. this is like. <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> My condolences, of course. Um, but I also <laughs> want to point out, low-key, one of the best moves Brian Gutekunst made was not bringing in Sammy Watkins Part 2, yeah. whoever that may have been this year, because they've, they maximized snaps for first and second year players and made the playoffs anyway. That's an incredible feat right there. I was, I, I was, it was, I, I couldn't believe they weren't going to sign anybody veteran they weren't they weren't gonna bring somebody in as a safety blanket they just refused to do it and that seemed like crazy crazy stuff early on and now now obviously it seems great (laughs) i'm so happy about that um i have been uh, like it's kind of tongue-in-cheek proponent in the past of not having veterans just for the sake of veterans and it's not that they have no value like if you if you do sign a good leader that can be helpful It, it absolutely can but I've always wanted to try this. <laughs> and, and this, to see it work is great. One of the reasons I've always wanted to try it is a stupid reason, uh, which is that my favorite video game growing up was Baseball Stars for the Nintendo, uh, the favorite tech mobile in that. And in that game, uh, you build a team from scratch. It's not a Major League Baseball license game. And you get to pick what you're, you start being good at. You can pick like good pitching, fast pitching, control pitching, good hitting, good power hitting. And then there's one for veterans. And um, if you, it's not like people dig into Nintendo code now. And the veteran one just makes you lucky. That's all it does. Like, and like, it's always kind of stuck with me. Like, yeah, I mean, veterans aren't (coughs) nothing. You know, it's good to teach people how to win. And actually, I think the Packers maybe would have fared a little better in the playoffs with a little more experience. I think that's one of the reasons they couldn't seize that game. But like, I'm, I like all the young kids gelling together, and I'm glad there wasn't a Sammy Watkins wasting a roster spot, taking taking Bo Melton's spot. Like, think about that. I was that. gonna say, with, yeah. a, with a veteran, you don't have Bo Melton. You know, in the Bo Melton's like one of the insane surge. Yeah, one of the most important players of the season doesn't get on the field. Was, yeah, yeah. Or if Aaron Rodgers is still the quarterback, none of these people are on the field. Yeah, <laughs> that was my other thing. I've had that conversation. Like, if Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback, how? 
hamstrung is the development of these wide receivers. And like, I don't want to talk about any of the other yeah. stuff, but it's just he was known to get on young guys. And like Deguara, I'm convinced if he had never had Rodgers as his quarterback, he's probably a different player today. <laughs> but that man's confidence was just destroyed. Poor Josiah. Yep. Poor, poor Josiah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think any of these guys develop. I also don't think the roster looks like this. I think mm-hmm. it, he demands that he has two or three guys who are washed to to be to be his guys. Yeah, we probably have DJ Chark on the team option. and some other oh, trash. Yeah. And yeah, that's probably how that looks. No Tucker Craft. No Luke Musgrave. No. Ah, all right. You know, it's crazy that we've been talking for any length of time and haven't even mentioned that Joe Barry is no longer the defensive coordinator since we last uh, since we last chatted. Wild. It is wild. I'm. Not sad we didn't learn that till after we recorded last week because we did learn it now. But uh, we should pour <laughs> one out. Um, we were right. We were Who's writers. the guy who said he was not probably not coming back? Who believed JR that was yeah. going to be the case? Oh, okay. I listened to that episode. What do you know, Jr? Who was feeding you info? The way <laughs> I, you I legit- said it. The way you said it. I was like, he knows something. I legitimately did not have any inside information. I merely could easily take the temperature of my colleagues, Tom Silverstone and Ryan Wood who I don't think they had necessarily inside information, but they they have they had a really good feeling that yeah. it was going to be. And if nothing else, Tom, he really thought it was. Yeah, they, they talk to people and they're around the locker room and yeah. they have a much better read on the interactions of the team with Joe Barry, even if they don't know anything. And that's not to say they don't because they're good. But, you know, you, you can tell if you're around people what's going on. So, And yeah. I'm glad I was wrong because it makes me more confident in the organization that they weren't fooled by sort of surface level Joe Barry performance into bringing him back. I'm hip- in a, in a sick twisted way. I'm kind of like glad my last memories of Joe Barry are kind of positive. Yeah. Cause I thought the playoff performances were pretty admirable considering the lack of talent you have at safety. Um, really kind of a bang up job in one and a half playoff games. Yep. I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. He I went out, we'll he went out strong. Out. He did. We'll never know how much input Matt LaFleur had there at the end. You know, mm-hmm. once things really hit rock bottom with the Giants and Tampa Bay back-to-back, something changed. And and maybe on the Panthers, too. Something changed, and it might have just been Joe Barry, you know? Like, you don't want to completely de- deprive him of credit, but yeah. it might have it might have been that there was some something else, some other element that was introduced where it was like, we have to do this or or we have no chance. I don't know. I what I I love this process because the names that are getting floated are for one thing names that most people haven't heard of. I certainly haven't heard of these guys. Mm-mm. But you know, you start you start looking into them and it's just like the energy and the and the interesting, you know, backgrounds and the like every candidate is kind of exciting. You know, like it's mm-hmm. it, because these guys are in their 30s and don't have a huge track record, you don't really rule anybody out. Like the, the, this is a really exciting, I think, search process. And it, like I, I even said this, it made me go back, it made me say to Paul, like, what were they seeing three years ago when they looked out at the landscape and thought, what we need is a 52 year old guy who has struggled at two other locations <laughs> to come in and be, I mean, that was their Sammy Watkins. It was. Here, right. Like, I, I cannot believe that they did that given the, the, just the, what's out there is so interesting and it might not work out. It might not, but like. Defense is such a puzzle, you know, like you never really know where the brains are in the operation because it's such a holistic thing. I don't think you can definitively zero in on any of these guys and say that should be the choice or that should be the choice. So they have to, you know, parse that out. That's a tough process. But 
you know, on the surface, all these guys are so interesting. Like, yeah, Christian Parker. Oh, they should definitely bring in, bring him in. And then Denard Walker gets mentioned. Like, oh, you should definitely yeah. bring him in. And 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 or from the Ravens, you know, like there's so many guys that would be awesome. Evero, of course, would be awesome as defensive coordinator. So, uh, so, so this is this is a really cool hire. That's a really cool opportunity that they have. Yeah. You say uh, they're looking for thirty-year-old coaches. Uh, fine, I'll be the defense. <laughs> Tyler Brook is available. Bring him in. He can do it. You know, you are you are like only one or two steps removed from a quality control coach on a college sideline, and that is like a good five years away from being an NFL coordinator, Tyler yeah. Brooke. <laughs> hey, one day maybe you never know. I'll just show up as an NFL coach on reporting as eligible. <laughs> Great. And what it's Packers goof. defense what coordinator Tyler Brooke, yes, <laughs> who will not be running a a soft zone uh, for this game. Uh, but uh, I, we, I think. We can talk a little bit more about that because we do have questions on specific ones. And I'm sure – actually, I don't even know if I have a favorite because I barely know who any of these people are <laughs> other than Brandon Staley. Um, but uh, we, we can get that in a second. Before we do, though, um, do you guys have like a favorite like high point of the season? Like when you knew it was uh, – when did you know that we, we had something, that we'd actually turn this around? Because I went through it today, and it was bumpier than I remembered. Like, oh, yeah. You know, like they had the, the middle of the season like – charger kansas city thing and then we had the devito thing happen and uh <laughs> um, we made him a viral sensation for like two weeks we did and like i i think i feel like we were still pretty confident through the devito game at least on the offensive side but i don't remember why <laughs> that's not a good love game i don't know what what did you guys think that we actually were like a good team and a likely bet to you know be something slash make the playoffs I can say that, I mean, the Kansas City game, before all of those things go wrong, when Taylor Swift came to Lambeau, for me personally, <laughs> was unbelievable. The, the, they played so well. The line played so well that we've talked about this. That was the perfect matchup for Joe Barry's defense. And they, they did everything right, and it was awesome. So that that obviously, I mean, certainly that game made me think, okay, this team actually can do something. Yeah. Yes, they lost those games, but at that point, you know, I had started doing my weekly tech, practically daily update of where they stand, what they have to do to make the playoffs. And you, and you start to realize that, like, the odds are really good, actually, <laughs> because the teams that they're competing with are largely bad. You know, the, the Packers are, of all of them, on an upswing. They they kind of had some decent tiebreaker positioning if, if a couple things broke a certain way, and they, they did break a certain yep. way. And um, even through even even in the beginning, before they played New York and Tampa Bay, I had put this thing together. It's like, well, actually, they can lose two of these games and still be in great shape. Now, you were hoping that it wouldn't be the first two. But uh, <laughs> then it's Carolina, it's <laughs> Chicago, and it's Minnesota. You got to go to Minnesota and win. But if you could pull that off, you're probably a playoff team. And there it was. They pulled it off in Minnesota on New Year's Eve, and they became a playoff team. Like it, it, it was kind of, it was kind of right there for the taking. You could just see it develop the whole time. If it wasn't the Chiefs game for me, I think it's the Vikings game because you're just coming off Jordan Love stepping up when the defense, you know, almost blew that Panthers game. Yeah. Uh, and then he just went nuclear in that Minnesota game. And then I went into Chicago just having zero. I honestly was not nervous really about that game. <laughs> there was maybe a little creep of doubt uh, right before kickoff. And then just it was just I think I started to realize uh, what they had. Didn't expect a playoff win and almost a second one. Yeah, I think for me it was the Vikings game. I think it took that long because 
there were so many like weird things that kept happening. The, t- the Tampa Bay game was brutal, and mostly because of Joe Barry's squad on that one. And then the Panthers game, like uh, it was a good offensive game, but man, it was just not an overwhelming performance at all. The Vikings game is the first time they really pulled it all together. Like there were so many bumps in the road before that. They're, they look dynamite, and they put all the rest of the games before that in sort of just a, a different context of, all right, the offense actually has kind of been this. The, the defense has struggled occasionally. There have been a couple bumps. But kind of since, like, the Chargers game, they've been reliably putting up, like, mid-20s points, good offensive performances, and they seem to be continuing it. And that stupid Bears game at the end of the season, I wasn't worried about it either, but I'm going to look back on that game in five years and see 17-9, and I, I, like, I'm going to remember, I'm going to put it in my head right now, like, that is the most dominant 17-9 win of all time. <laughs> there has never been a more dominant 17-9 win in the history of the NFL. Like, they should have won that game by 40. That that game is stupid. But um, yeah. Hey, just wait. The, it's next year is the Bears year, just like it is every year. Yeah, they're starting again. They're they're there. Justin Fields going to take them to the promised land. This is the first year, I think, since 2010, where the team truly played their best football in the playoffs. I mean, obviously you can argue these games that you're talking about chiefs, Vikings, bears, they, they played very well, but you know, whole, holistically speaking, like that's the lasting memory. You're no one's going to remember the losses to the freaking Raiders and Broncos and giants oh. and Buccaneers <laughs> and, and Vikings who turned out to be lousy. I mean, you, you start to look at these losses, the, the, the Falcons, like these are bad teams that they lost to, but no one's going to remember that because mm. they absolutely saved their best for last. They looked dominant in the play in the first playoff game against the number two seed. And then actually, I still think, I, I still think the ultimate takeaway is that they, they played, they played well against San Francisco. They should have won. Yep. So it's frustrating, but this is the first time since then that you could say they really did save their best stuff for, for, for the end. You know, you look at the regular season. There aren't, there aren't that many high points. Like you said, like it's up and up and down. It's, Certainly not what you what you saw with Dallas and San Francisco. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. You could maybe argue 2015 when they beat Washington and, and should have had Arizona. That's the game that goes to overtime with the Janice Hail Marys. You could argue that was kind of fun too, but I don't know. That one left me feeling like it was kind of a sour taste. So this, yeah. was, this was really a good time. Yep. I think my least favorite game was the Broncos game. Um, they ended up being a lot better than they were the first few weeks of the season, but after they got lit, lit up for 70 against the Dolphins, and Russell was just sucking. Um, losing that game, nineteen seventeen, kind of sucks. But uh, you know, all in all, not too bad. Um, figuring stuff I, out at that point. I hated the Giants game with every well, fiber of my being. That thing, just, like, I still don't know what happened in that game. What the hell happened? Just in didn't that show game? up. It's just, it was a letdown game. I don't. I think after uh, beating the Lions and Chiefs, you know, you just kind of start puffing your chest out. Love was sloppy. Uh, the defense generated what zero sacks. Yes. On Zero sacks against a guy who gets sacked a zillion times a game. Yep. That that is also a stat that will pop out Both later. Both before on. and after that yeah. game. I, I don't understand that one either. That doesn't make sense on paper. Their well, pass rush doesn't stop. Like even in the midst of their worst, you know, they, they still had a little bit of pass rush. In fact, early in the season it looked like that was going to be their strength. Yeah. How did they not get to Tommy DeVito, guys? That's so weird. Rashad, Just remember. Rashad no ran out of gas. That yeah, he did. That happened. Not um, just in that game, just the whole tail end of the season. Whole tail end of the season, yep. Um, I also went and looked at that game because I was like, okay, maybe Quay was out of position a bunch of times. He didn't play in that game. That was a McDuffie game. And I feel like McDuffie's usually pretty good at that specific task. Not much else, but <laughs> um, I'm I'm surprised to see that was a McDuffie game and that they were so bad at stopping quarterback running in it. 
Uh, man, that game was brutal. Um, also, by the way, this ga- the Gi- the Giants game. I went and crunched numbers for the mini pod, which I still have to finish recording. Um, this game has their highest WP added play of the season in it. it in a game they lost, um, it, it is the uh, the tackle of Saquon Barkley when he's breaking away. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. Um, by was that who did that? Um, Keyshawn. Maybe Val- it was Valentine. It was Valentine. No. He has a 50 yard return on that. Um, that was their biggest play of the season in terms of turning winning percentage. And they still lost this game. <laughs> um, I- incredible. The only thing that was bigger was the Blake group missed field goal, but I feel like you can't give credit for the Packers for missing a field goal. So. Yep. Um, my girlfriend had to watch me watch that giants game and she does not follow football. And she was like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> ah, so bad. Alas, we got over it. We won. Yep. And thank God Blake Group missed a field goal because we wouldn't have made the playoffs if he made it. So. Ugh. We also knocked out Kirk. That was also good. We ruined the Vikings season. Not that I want. Vikings to are that that team might be taking a step back. Uh, it's a rough situation. It's a rough situation. They're in rough straits salary cap wise. Kirk is also very old now. This will be his age thirty six season, coming back off of an injury. Is he a free agent? Is I think right? he is. Isn't he? Um, I don't think he's. Um, I feel like everybody's assuming he's going to come back, but I don't think he has to come back. He is a free agent. Free agent, yeah. I feel like all the old guys are free agents. Like, there's four 36 year old quarterbacks. I think they're all free agents. Uh, Tanny's one of them. Uh, shoot, I can't remember who else is. Russell's one of them. He's a free agent. Um, I like too many of the quarterbacks in this class, and so now I'm getting a little worried. Take Bo Nix. I'll be fine. I can root against Bo Nix. <laughs> that would be a good Viking quarterback to take. I'm pro that. Kind of guy they do take too. Like they always take third round guys who are meh. No, take him in the first. It's fine. <laughs> Christian Ponder territory. That's good. All right. Um, what is what is the Lions situation roster wise? What's their cap situation? Not bad. I think they're I would, in pretty good shape. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. And they kept Ben Johnson as of today, which is kind of yes, just terrible. Yes. Just terrible. I mean, good for Detroit, but terrible yeah. for us. Ben Johnson's good. Um, they are good in terms of cap space. They did have kind of a bad draft last year, and they're actually thinner at a lot of positions of import than a lot of other teams. I think uh, if I was Ben Johnson, the thing I'd be most concerned about is uh, I- I'm going to have Goff again, and Goff is only good behind an elite offensive line, which they have, but that turf takes guys out every once in a while. And if you lose oh, Sewell yeah. or you lose Decker, then Goff turns into a pumpkin pretty much immediately. And they also only have one good receiver. That's it. Like, it's just Amon yeah. Ra. And Man, is he good, though. He's good. Holy he's crap. Good, but, you know. He's good, and Laporta's good. But look at how burned they got with Reynolds not being on a, you know. And, yeah. and Reynolds isn't bad, but he's the best of what's around is all, though. They don't they don't have guys who can. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess it depends. Jameson Williams, but he he's developing more like a, like an MBS type. Of, yeah, I think MBS is a good comp there. That, that seems to be what he's, he's looking like. A little charky as well. Those guys are all kind of similar. Uh, all right. Uh, Do you guys feel bad about the Lions collapse, by the way? No, no, I don't. Um, I, like I have friends. Oh, Jr. Does definitely. I've got does. too many. I've got too many Lions fans <laughs> yeah, you you definitely do. That one hurt. Rough day really in the house. Well, yes. I mean, I think I've said this before. My family, my my wife and her family, devoted Lions fans. Like. that one was tough now my wife handles these sorts of losses better than i do she also is a fatalist when it comes to the lions she likes to remind me that she believed the packers were going to win the hail mary the miracle in motown 
all the way through. She believed that, even though I told her it was absolute nonsense. And so, you know, she's been around some heartbreak, but I really wanted the Lions to break through. If for no other reason than to just break up the monotony of Chiefs 49ers in a Super Bowl, like, whatever. Like, we, we literally just did that a few years ago. We've already got one of those. Yeah. So I really thought it would be cool to get some new blood in there. I love Dan Campbell. I hate the discourse around his going for fourth down, especially because Ooh, the stupid decision Can I was talk made about that for a line. second? Sure, go I ahead. Wanna, I want to rant about that for just a second because I agree with you. And um, this is one where there were a lot of different analytics people and there were a lot of different non-analytics people. Uh, but I'm annoyed by this one because uh, the numbers on almost all of their decisions were pretty much 50-50. It really was a, a field play and just do whatever you want. Um, even uh, on, at the end of the first half when they kicked a field goal, instead of going for it, all the analytics guys were like, well, kicking the field goal is right because you don't get the positional advantage if if you go for it and get stopped. You, they get it at the two, they kneel, the half is over. Um, and, and after that, the go for it's they did were universally like, that's aggressive. It is kind of a 50-50 call. It just depends on how you feel about your team. And um, it turned into a big argument about the decision when it should be. This is the quintessential, like, this is an execution problem. And it, it, this is deciding how you're going to execute. And um, more than anything, I think they made the right decision because their kicker's not very good. Um, he's not. He is not. And that matters. Like, we we know better than everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have no doubt in my mind he misses the 48-yard field goal. No the, doubt. He and misses. he's got to make – I mean, he doesn't. He, it's, it's a tie if he makes one, maybe. The 49ers still get the ball back. But, like, counting on to make two is – that's a lot. He's probably not going to make two. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I feel like that, that whole thing got misfocused and should have been a football analysis question of, Hey, like you've been grinding out yards on the ground. You've been moving the ball pretty effortlessly. Um, this is, it makes sense because your kicker is bad and your offense is playing really well. And that he's getting pilloried, uh, for all the wrong reasons here. So I kind of feel bad for Dan Campbell for that. It, I do. And I, as far as the fan base, like I get Packer sentiments of it's a division rival who cares, screw them. I'm just an empathetic person, and I know miserable fan bases when I see them. I feel very <laughs> yeah. bad for that fan base. I do feel bad for the. I feel bad for the way they lost. Um, yeah. I, I feel a little less bad about it because we we actually I feel like lost a very similar game. Yeah, that, part, like, that also hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little like watching it again, but like the off the face mask fifty one yard catch was just garbage. Great, great Brock Purdy throw, guys. I just want to say, what an elite quarterback. I believe his entire EPA per play difference between him and Goff is made up by that one play um which is again just asinine uh detroit kicked themselves in the foot a few times there in that quarter and i do feel bad about that because a lot of it wasn't their fault a lot of it was just uh, like the fumble is their fault that's that's bad play but like uh the the punt that like that that was the best punt in nfl history like <laughs> it was a 75 yard punt amazing. that landed on the one yard line and some jag just grabs it and steps on the end line like what are you doing don't do that like I would be Yeah, and I mean the Lions have the best special teams player in, in the NFL and they screwed that up. And yeah. the guy steps out of bounds going into the end zone to to kill a few more seconds. And obviously the call on the one line, like it just starts to add up the way I, this is as much this is the closest thing I've seen to the twenty fourteen season Seattle game. It's close where there's just so many dumb things <laughs> that went wrong. There's the fa the off the face mask, two guys dropped wide open first down catches yep. that led to a kill drive. There's you know, outside of an onside kick going wrong 
they had it all, you know, they had the bad coaching decisions. If, if you want to call them that, well, the, the, by the goal line was a bad decision. Yeah. They should not Running have run the, the ball. They line. nullified oh, the, the timeout yeah. that they had. That's the only bad yeah. call you can say they made. Yeah. It was a disaster. I mean, even if they get in the end zone there, I mean, obviously that works out, but then it's like, why would you run the ball? That's insanity. You know, like <laughs> there's no scenario where that made sense. So man, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm down on it because, uh, it would have been cool. It would have been cool for for my my extended family who yeah. have never seen their team in a Super Bowl. Nope, I do subscribe personally to the if it's not the Packers in the Super Bowl, I just want also like people who've already wanted in the Super Bowl um, historically because I don't want new people in the Super Bowl. If like Detroit or Minnesota wins the Super Bowl, they become annoying teams. Like oh, I see. I don't <laughs> like that. Like it's not good. Uh, like the Bears can always fall back. Like hey, we won one. Yeah, okay, you won one. Good, good for you. But. Uh, <laughs> But like, it's nice to be on, on the exclusive club, and I don't want any new new members of it, especially from our division. It's kind of amazing that the Bears have only been to two. It is. That's kind of surprising to and me. And did I love that most recent one? I actually think it's more amazing that the Bears have been to two and the Vikings have been to zero because the Vikings are objectively better run than the well, Bears. Vikings have been to four. Oh yeah, only I forgot won. about I forgot about the Tarkington ones. Oh there. yeah. Oh, my bad. They have been yeah, to four. Before the four one, falls of one, Buffalo, zero. there were the four yeah. falls of Minnesota. That they've baby. won zero. That they've won zero. They have Correct. been to play. One zero. Yeah. Bud Grant, bad coach. Um, that's. <laughs> oh, how dare you? Superior zone. Uh, Wisconsinite, Bud Grant, legend. Minnesota legend. Yeah. All right. You guys want to talk about anything else from this past season, or should we move on to our, our Patreon questions and talk defensive coordinators? Zach Tom gets not enough love. Hey, you know what? Good team. one. Yes, Good one. you're right about that. And I have a conspiracy theory, too, on that. Um, I, I, I mentioned this on the baseball. his name isn't cool. I mentioned this on the baseball podcast, which football people don't listen to. So I'm going to reiterate it here. Um, I check PFF grades every week. And I check the PFF Packer uh, total grades every week. And, yes, this is me yelling at PFF. Um, Zach Tom has been a high 80s, low 90s graded PFF guy for the whole season. He has been their highest graded player for the whole season. And I went to do season ending analytics and scouting stats with PFF and Football Outsiders and uh, RB's DM. And they had his total season grade at 76 for Zach Tom, uh, uh, lower than Jordan Love, who was like 76.4. Like, that's that is not correct um he yeah. has not played badly at the second half of the season certainly not badly enough to lose his 90 grade that he definitely had at some point in the last four weeks and uh i'm mad at them for that i think that they changed it to make him worse than love that is what i think happened there so could be wrong but i'm i'm annoyed at them for that there's a lot of weird packer pff end of the season grades by the way a lot of them didn't make sense i actually didn't finish the mini pod last week because i got mad at pff while i was reading pff stats off like this is garbage i got <laughs> so yes that feels like the quality of pffs getting worse i agree it does seem to be getting worse um very inconsistent things seem to shift all the time and they're the guys who defend it most vigorously don't work there anymore um for the most part <laughs> A lot of people I respected are gone from there. Mm-hmm. So, Anyway, yeah. so Zach Tom is awesome. You are correct and should be universally regarded as one of the best tackles in football. Yeah, I can't believe that the question was Elton Jenkins. Where's the best spot for him that they actually drafted somebody better than him? I did not <laughs> see that coming. You know, like free ACL he, Elton was pretty nasty. Though. Yeah, he was. Yeah, for sure. He was for sure. He was. All right. Let's do some questions. Shall we? Let's do it. It's a. 
Let's start with Mark Pudscarby, as always. Off-topic question, but the Reese Hoskins signing sent me down a <laughs> rabbit hole of unofficial unofficial jersey retirement. Oh, I'm glad you're here because I asked you for the answer to this question because I thought you wouldn't be here. My question is, why are the is the number one jersey, meaning Curly Lambeau, and the number five, Paul Horning, not officially retired by the Packers, but yet they don't issue a number anymore? Is there any sort of backstory for these two? It seems both would be easy calls to put their names on the facade. So for the setup, Reese Hoskins has always worn number 17 yes. with the Philadelphia Phillies. He was signed by the Brewers. He will not be wearing 17 with the Brewers. The Brewers do not ha- have not issued a 17 since 1992, the year of our Lord, where Jim Gantner... Uh, played his final of 17, <laughs> oddly enough, seasons with the Milwaukee Brewers. Jim Gantner was not a great baseball player. His he was numbers not. are very bad they are. offensively. Yes. Defensively, he was fine. He was a fine defensive second baseman. He's remembered because he was only a Brewer for 17 years, and he played with Robin Yount and Paul Molitor, so they're kind of like this troika. What's the word? Troika? Troika? Yeah. Um, he, he just kind of gets associated with those guys. And he's from Wisconsin, and he's super beloved, and he's still around the team, and he has a funny voice, and I love the guy. And his nickname was but, Gumby, uh, which people found endearing. His theory. nickname was Gumby. Very, very fitting because he, he has a weird voice. He's, he's, he's just perfect. He's a perfect Wisconsinite. But he's, his number will never be retired because he just wasn't that good. But they have not issued it. So this unofficial retirement thing is kind of this open secret, I guess, around Milwaukee Brewers. Anyway. Paul Horning's name is not on the facade. Curly Lambeau's name is not on the facade, but no one has worn one or five. And it's super weird it is. <laughs> why that has. I mean, I pointed you to an article written by Cliff Crystal, the Packers historian. And if you want to get started on it, go ahead, because it is it is way weirder. It than is I way weirder than we thought. So and feel free to jump in and correct me if I get this wrong, because I did read it and I'm going to post it in the show notes if anybody else wants to. And you should, because it's fascinating. But let's start with Paul Horning, because. Um, my initial thought and, and Matt's initial thought were he's probably not retired because of his gambling suspension. And that is not the yes. case at all. Uh, that is not what happened at all. Uh, the real problem seems to be that there was no official process for retiring a number until like, what, 1986 or so? I mean, maybe later. Yo, even a little bit later, later than think. that. Yeah. Even into the early 90s. Yeah, even into the early 90s. And so there is all of this historical documentation about coaches trying to retire numbers in the past. Uh, like Don Hudson's number is apparently the first that was retired, but it's like it was like a two out, not it was like a two minute ceremony at the end of yeah. a game that nobody paid attention to, and they did they like it gave up. him some token they, and shoved him on his way. Yeah, and, and so that so back to Horning. Uh, it actually looks like Vince Lombardi tried to retire Paul Horning's number and that there was just no way to actually do it. He said in like interviews that his number, uh, I think when asked what numbers are retired, didn't he say like, it's Don Hudson, one other guy and Paul Horning, but like nobody yeah, could Tony find Kennedy. Tony Kennedy, a whole nother thing. Tony Kennedy is a whole yeah. nother thing. That's, that is a whole nother thing. <laughs> number three. Oh my it God. It sounds like Tony Kennedy. whatever. We gotta, we gotta finish with Paul Horning. We do. Go elsewhere. And so like basically Vince Lombardi tried to retire Paul Horning's number, but there was no way to do it. And so it didn't happen. And it, it just like became a thing like that. It wasn't done. And so they didn't yeah. do it and they kept not doing it. And it became too late and he passed away. And now it's yeah. just a weird thing. JR well, described so it to me his short version clerical error, which is kind of true. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, it wasn't so much in what Cliff wrote. It didn't sound like so much that there there just wasn't a process of re- retiring numbers wasn't a concept, you know, like not fully formed like it is today. So there are two accounts of this speech Vince Lombardi gave about Paul Horning. 
where he said as long basically one one account is as long as i'm here no one else will wear number five yes and another account is no one else will wear number five ever in packers history which is a de facto way of saying we're never going to give out this number again but ultimately the way to quote unquote retire a number is simply not to issue it to anybody right but then you had guys like forrest oh, greg, for, greg out of spite issued it to people <laughs> Greg, who may or may not have been irritated that somebody would think that Vince Lombardi had considered Horning the better player in terms of the greatest player he ever coached, may have given number five to some random kicker. You know, like there just wasn't the process hadn't been established and it was not clear what the wishes were there. Well, and Forrest Greg gave it to a scab, too. Exactly. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, so, I mean, there's there may be no official Forrest Greg was trying to pick a fight here but he gave it to a scab (laughs) and then we got to a point where it was just like well they can't retire it now you know paul horning is played years ago now he's dead like it just it feels like they missed their moment so i i mean realistically they could go back and just do it yeah but it it seems strange i guess curly lambo is a little bit more of a mystery i mean he is in the hall of fame as a coach not as a player yeah crystal feels he should have been in as both like uh like hallis but um you know, I think that's a little more defensible, but but Curly, you know, honestly, I don't even know. I don't even know why Curly's number one isn't up there. It certainly hasn't been issued since then. So I it think feels, again, it feels similar. It's yeah. like there was no official thing. No that. process, and also Curly had fewer friends. There, nobody's sticking up for Curly uh, in the immediate. Well, aftermath. other than they named the stadium for him and yes, built a statue. They did. Yes. They did, but also kind of a jerk. Um, so there's that. And the reason Canadeo has endured from that era is that. He seemed to have gotten upset when he thought that they were going to reissue the number three and he became very agitated and sort of advocated. It it sounds like Canadeo's initial retirement was a group of fans getting together and just sort of deciding we're going to have Tony Canadeo day. And they sort of quote unquote retired his number three and And gave him a truck. (laughs) And yes, you've got to read this article. It's amazing. And, and did just go with it. And Tony Canadeo then managed to get himself into the team's front office infrastructure and kind of just eventually got it official by doing that. He worked hard to get his number retired. <laughs> yeah, the gray ghost of Gonzaga, mm-hmm. uh, a player who didn't have a lot of success team-wise, but was was very good. I mean, these are all pro football Hall of Famers. Like, yeah. we're talking about, you know, Horning is, is cream of the crop. So is Canadeo. It's just, it's just very weird. Uh, it sounds like maybe there wasn't a streamlined process for years and years, especially through those like fallow years where there wasn't a lot of greatness. So I don't know if they just didn't give it enough thought or whatever, yep. but like they could have streamlined this in the seventies or eighties and it just never happened. One thing the bears were good at is retiring numbers. They have the most in the NFL. Hmm. Who was the uh, Japanese guy, the Cubs signed since this started as a baseball question. And I know very little about well, they've signed a few in the last, like, no, two I know Suzuki. You mean just for this signed, year? Yeah, they signed Suzuki. I knew that guy. I don't Yeah, know. you're not thinking of, like, Kosuke Fukudomi, right? <laughs> oh, what a legendary name. Oh. Uh, yeah. I, I don't actually I, I don't actually know the name. It's it's I think it's Imanaga. But I oh, we have that know. guy. Sure. Okay, I'll take it. All right. I think it is Imanaga. I think you're right. Cool. All right. No further questions. All right, good. Thank you. <laughs> 
All right, Donald Anderson, not to be confused with Donnie Anderson, whose number is not retired by the Green Bay Packers organization. <laughs> He's not a Hall of Famer, but it was very good. Here's the question. It seems to me as if Matt LaFleur has consistently screwed up playoff games by inserting guys coming off the injured list at the expense of guys who have been playing. He did it twice in playoff games by playing the best available offensive line personnel in 2021 and 2022. And he did it this year with wide receivers. Am I imagining things? Did he actually make the right call in these cases? Or does Matt LaFleur have a setting the right roster for the playoffs problem like he has a playing in the Mountain and Pacific time zones as a favorite problem? (laughs) I personally think that it's just bad timing. Now, uh, I think the 49er game, the cold 49er game, the 13-12 to 49er game, that one I think he did screw up. Like Dennis Kelly playing guard in that game and uh, it was Yash and uh, Billy Billy Turner Turner at tackle. I don't think that was correct. I think that was overthinking, and I think he had Ke- Kelly in there because they anticipated running in the cold, and that's just not a smart idea. Um, but I think on the receivers thing, like I will complain forever that uh, Watson and Dobbs got too much time in that game, but um, it's you know, Watson and Dobbs are still pretty good, and it's not like the guy the other guys didn't play at all. Like I would have frankly put Bo Melton back out there after he's got a touchdown to get at least one more target, um, but like. Uh, I, I feel like that is kind of how the team is run. When those guys are healthy, they are the quote-unquote starters. And, um, you know, a lot of the time that works. So um, yeah, it's it's also a radical play to pull Christian Watson in favor of a whole bunch of Bo Melton. That is also a radical thing to do. So I don't think he's bad at it. I think he's been faced with tough decisions and kind of gone with the status quo once and went with wild wild Dennis Kelly nonsense once. And so there's not like a consistent process there. Um, it's just, he got a couple things wrong before the uh, Cowboys playoff game. I think it was Aaron Andrews um, was talking about Jair's availability and talked about how LaFleur stressed to him that if you are going to be available and ready to go, just know that you were keeping another valuable roster spot from seeing the field. So it is clearly something he is thinking about and honestly a pretty good quote to get from. EA. Yeah. Agreed. And like, honestly, I, you, we should be, this is a Watson problem that that game and a couple <laughs> games this season are Watson played bad. Um, he has not come along as quickly as, you know, we maybe would have hoped after last year's second half of the season, two years ago. So whatever. Um, and when he's healthy and when he's on, he can still put up monster games, which he did at least once or twice this season. So, um, it's not like it was just a dumb thing for a st- guy who didn't offer anything. It's not at all. It was your most athletic receiver, allegedly fully healthy, no hamstring problems, and uh, I, it's hard. Pre- you'd be hard pressed to keep him out after that. You can't convince me that it was wrong to have him out there against Dallas because I do think he was used correctly. He was used. Well, I mean, he wasn't used as a decoy exactly, but that's de- what the de facto outcome was. Yeah. And the receivers were just incredible in that game. Like whatever, whatever alchemy they had, it was good. Now, obviously, San Francisco <laughs> feels a little different. Feels yeah. like maybe they could have, uh, they could have, could have mixed a match, or at least if he's in there, like try a home run throw, I guess, once or twice. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that would have worked really. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I feel like if you've got Christian Watson healthy, you got, he's got to, he's got to get the field. You know, like he is your most physically talented wide receiver. And even though I realize he'd been out, I, I just, I feel like there's just as good a chance that he does a, makes a pop play for you. You know, one catch for 60 yards, even if, uh, 
you, you know, even if there's also a possibility he does what he did, which yep. is not really do much. Well, thank goodness he's fixing his hamstrings in the offseason. So it should all be solved. Yeah. The big year for him. Like it's a uh, jury's out. If he's, if he's the guy here, we're going to find out in year yep. three. I mean, <laughs> you're either a fart smeller. Oh, dang it. I screwed it up. You're either a smart fella or a fart smeller. What is your level of surprise that the Packers actually went through with firing Joe Barry? On that note, are the Bears really so stupid that they possibly given their DC <laughs> job, as has been reported as a possibility, with the update being they did not, did not. actually do yeah. that? Furthermore, any thoughts on the thus far four reported interviewed candidates for the Packers, DC? Rumblings would suggest the current favorite is 32-year-old Christian Parker. Do you like taking a shot on a young and unknown guy that would you, or, or would you prefer a more proven commodity? Bigger guy like Parker, due to his youth and relatively little experience, hasn't yet established his scheme and may be more flexible to different defensive looks as opposed to someone like, say, Brandon Staley, who, for better or worse, seems like he'd have another flavor of Fangio defense. He'd be another flavor of Fangio defense. Maybe I'm just feeling burned by Barry, but I kind of would prefer to get away from a Fangio defense. Maybe that's more a problem of the operator than scheme itself? Question mark. Uh, Tyler, do you want to go first? Yeah, the Parker one's super interesting. Um, you know, scheme for a defensive coordinator is usually really just based off of what you've learned coming up, right? Um, I could not tell you what he learned at Virginia State or Norfolk <laughs> State or even Notre Dame or Texas A&M. Um, so I am interested in that. The The Ravens name that was floated today that we were recording seems super interesting because he had experience in the Bears front office and then coached at a bunch of different places and has found a lot of success in um, is it, uh, oh my gosh, I'm, not even... I'm Googling Denard Wilson, Denard Wilson. There we go. Um, so that one super intrigued me. Uh, but yeah, Parker is cool. Uh, the fact that a 32 year old could get hired in the NFL gives me hope as a 30 year old high school football coach. That <laughs> maybe one day something could happen. Heck yeah. Uh, but I, I think as long as it doesn't feel like a nepotism hire, LaFleur just hiring one of his buddies. Yeah. Kind of the same. I'm kind of with everybody on Staley just because, um, he has now, you know, failed and I don't think he's necessarily a bad coordinator, but I think that scheme so much as it is, is kind of a little bit played out. Um, and I'm not impressed with how Brandon Staley adjusted to sort of the reality of the Fangio defense kind of taking it on the chin a little bit this year, um, and not really changing things up adequately. Like I want my defensive coordinator to adjust to the offenses that are placed in front of him more than anything else. Like, I think on defensive coordinator, you're hiring the guy more than the scheme a hundred times over. Basically what Tyler said. And, you know, that's hard to judge from our perspective. We don't know anything about these guys, how they are in person, how the, how they interviewed, how they run things with their team. But I just want a guy who is like flexible and reacts to what is presented to him in a rational way, which Joe Barry, honestly, that was his big downfall. Just he, you, you, uh, you trick him enough, and he just runs. He falls back into his old ways, and it's easy to pick on him. We're going to run nickel at the goal line, baby. Yep. Let's go. Oh, so much of that. I'm not going to miss that. It's ridiculous. You know, Parker, too, has had several different coordinators that he's worked under. Uh, you know, he's he's he knows Fangio, and he has been with Vance Joseph and, and Sean Payton, you know, the Sean Payton version of what, what was going on there, both merging the before and the after. So um, I, I think that's that's pretty key, you know, having sort of those variations rather than being sold on any one particular style. I, I find him to be a really exciting guy, but I would certainly, you know, in terms of do you want experience or do you want a newbie? 
it wouldn't hurt to have an Ishiro Evero who's been a defensive coordinator in two places, you know, yeah. and has is still on the ascent a little bit. Um, I'm pretty curious to know what happens in Carolina because if that's if that guy's available, I think that's got to be what they end up <laughs> doing. That's a perfect fusion of experience and still somebody who's on on the up and up and somebody who might have some new new fresh ideas. I think. I just got a little chuckle looking at Christian Parker's Wikipedia page. For some reason, it lists his height as five nine point five inches, and it's just really <laughs> making me giggle. That he's like, it's not five nine, it's five nine point five. Yo, that's exactly my height. I've been telling people I'm five nine and a half for years and years, and then my last, my last height in or whatever whatever measurement was was I'd, I'd be I'd shrunk a little. So oh no, devastating blow. Yes, devastating six, blow. Hey, still, six, I've still got five nine and. <clears throat> 69 inches tall. That's all you got to say. Yeah. I am, by the way, surprised we haven't heard a single peep out of Jim Leonard. Not even a stupid rumor. Mm -hmm. That's not true. Um, So I assume that's (laughs) not happening. Doesn't feel like it, does it? Does not. Doesn't feel like it. Um, You know, I don't know. Going back to when there was a report that he had been offered the job, I don't know how many people reported that. I want to say... (laughs) There was one report that he had been offered the job, but it it may not actually have been as clear cut. I I don't know. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to go back in time three years, but I don't know if it was that clear cut that that is what happened. So I don't, I I have no idea. I don't know why he would, I don't know why people wouldn't be all over the guy. He's had nothing but success, but who knows? Throb Zombie says, thanks for the great year. Not sure what I will do with my extra 90 minutes a week now. Charitable <laughs> to think that we're done in 90 minutes. Can you share the Spotify playlist, all the intro, outro music from the episodes? Paul has great taste. I will uh, update it this week. I am busy for a lot of this week, but it will be posted on Friday sometime. It is currently like 270 songs long. And I've only got to update the last like five or six games. So yeah, it'll be good. It'll be out there. I'll post it on Twitter and I'll put it on wherever people go. Ted Ted Korth says, okay, so they dumped Joe and even signed some kicker competition. Got to assume that a lot of the old, like Bakhtiari and Campbell, will depart. If they can bring back Aaron Jones, what is the next priority to take this team to the next level? It is a good question. Um, I feel like it's just defense up the middle. I feel like on offense, they're pretty much set. They don't, like, it'd be nice to get some more depth at offensive line, but you don't really, you don't need it. Like, if it's there, you should take it, but you don't need it. But, like, safety, inside linebacker, is a problem has been a problem for a while corner is a problem too but i feel like i'm sick of their up the middle defense sucking i'm just sick of it it's always picked on by opposing offenses that know what they're doing and that is where i would concentrate my efforts i i want to say safety but the detriment of devondre campbell as he wore out this year has been was just devastating to watch it was he's so slow it was such a detriment to the defense because he just you could just tell he was getting picked on in certain games Mm -hmm. Um, so I would really love another inside linebacker. I don't know if there's any draft questions, but I've started watching a couple. <laughs> That's not a position you'd take in the first couple rounds, though, is it? Or is it? Late in the first? Yeah, I think late in the first is actually see- okay. Okay. All so right. it's one of those things where, like, if you don't have a star, it's easy to get average play. Um, but if you sure. get a star, it makes a huge difference. Like, I'm, this is like an analytics thing is like don't draft inside linebackers early made fun of the Lions for it yada yada but like Fred Warner's freaking great man and yeah. we kept we kept losing to the Buccaneers because they had great inside linebacker play for yeah. a long time like if you get a good one it makes a big difference yeah I mean look at the Ravens Patrick Queen Rokon Smith mm-hmm. 
those guys dominated all year long and now uh well their season's over but they were the number one defense <laughs> they were, uh, they so were. it was good while it lasted they lost um, me a lot of money <laughs> yeah all right david says since the lions choked away a 17 point halftime lead continuing their streak of losing road playoff games that dates back to the Eisenhower administration. Dan Campbell has been getting some heat for being aggressive on fourth down while in field goal range. I don't object to the fourth downs themselves so much as I object to the decision to set up an initial fourth down call by running it on third and medium, as opposed to passing it just beyond the sticks, especially since a field goal would have made it a three possession game. Do the analytics agree with me here? I think they do on the run call more than anything Uh, on the, on the fourth down calls. Like I said, they're pretty even Stevens. Um, that run definitely cost EPA. I will tell you that 100%. You want to be throwing past the sticks two consecutive times there, and that was just a waste of a down in a very important situation. So, yeah, they do agree with you there. I you looked at this. Oh, go ahead, Tyler. Oh, sorry. I don't know much about analytics, honestly, even though I wrote a book about it. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite fourth down decisions the Lions made all year. It was like a fourth and three, fourth and five, and they just, instead of throwing past the sticks, they just ran trap. And the defense was so floored. It was like a 15-yard game. So I do think tendency breakers are an important I think part that's of that. fine. But I think as the setup to that yes, first down, it's not a great idea. Agreed. That's all. We looked at this when I was trying – when I wasn't sure if the Packers would play the Lions in the playoffs. Kind of trying to see if the, uh, the assumption is true that they would run it more on third down, being a team with a reputation to gamble on fourth down – that they would treat third down as just get within range, and then fourth down, we're going for it no matter what. Um, and I actually ran that by you, Paul. And turns out not really. Like they weren't above average in nope. like third running on third down. They were just whatever. They were a middle of the pack team. So that actually kind of surprised me because you would think that would be part of their process with two great running backs that you would just chew up the third down yardage, knowing you're going for it on fourth. But uh, they that's that's not really something they they did. So it was actually a little out of character for them to run on third down to set up the fourth. That's unusual for them. It was. You also shouldn't do that. Uh, making it we, one thing we know analytics wise is setting up third and manageable is uh, this way leads to doom. You should be trying, generally speaking, to convert first downs at all opportunities. Now, if it's like third or if it's like first and twenty. It may not be the smartest play to go for a 22-yard pass. Uh, you know there are of course exceptions to every rule, but generally speaking, if it's third and five or third and seven, you should try and get the first down. And then if you don't and you want to go for it, you should try and get it again. Setting up fourth and two is setting up a dangerous situation, especially the way people call short yardage, um, running into piles and stuff on fourth down. I'd almost rather be fourth and five a lot of the time, honestly. Especially on the Packers. They seem to suck at, at that. <laughs> 0 for 2 on Tush Push. Jonathan, not great. Nope. Jonathan Deal. Some people make better coordinators and coaches like Jim Schwartz, Steve Spagnuolo. Despite having never worked together, people are already criticizing the idea of Brandon Staley as unfound nepo- unfounded nepotism. Why is there so much negativity around him just getting an interview? It was probably that yoga video, right? Before the game. <laughs> Yeah, that. I think it's mostly because when you're head coach, you still are, generally speaking, coordinating the thing that you're in charge of. And, you know, he didn't have great season. I really think it comes down to that more than anything. And, and honestly, that might be overreacting. Like, defensive coordinators um, experience a lot of ups and downs that they're not in control of. Defenses fluctuate a lot based on luck and other things. So it might be even a little unfair, but fact of the matter is it doesn't look great. 
and also the yoga. So I think that's mostly it. <laughs> it also does seem like the easy pick. Like, uh, and you know, we've poisoned the well there too on this podcast. So there is there's that. Um, you know, the familiar thing is not always the best thing. I do think he'd be interesting. I, I, I am not opposed to them giving him a good long look. I, I've, I'm drawn to sort of, like I said, the energy of these other guys that are maybe a little more, a little more up and coming, but, uh, but I, I, I don't know again, like, was he the, the smartest brain in the room? Like we, we don't know that you just defense defense is just such a weird, you know, meshed up thing. It's hard to identify who the real stars in the room were. And maybe it yep. wasn't him. It wasn't Joe Barry either. I'm afraid of yeah. the Rams. Sorry. I'd so. rather have Staley than Joe uh, Barry. That's an accurate yeah, yeah. statement. Brian Polakowski says, are there any stats to back up my hunch that the Lions will fall back to earth next season, especially losing their offensive coordinator? Uh, uh, now. Oh, no. Take back the NFC North crown next year. Not really. Um, we were really counting on that Ben Johnson departure, <laughs> uh, but the Lions were not especially lucky in one-score games. They were, I think, 5-4 and four on the season, which is perfectly in line with what you'd expect. They overperformed their Pythagorean a hair, I, I think, by like two games, but like they were still a 10-win true talent team. They're good. They're good. They're just good. So um, there's not a lot to say that they'll be much worse. They have a couple things that could cascade on them. Like I said, like Goff is very reliant on a good offensive line in front of him, but... They have that. They will probably have it again next year. So they should be okay, um, at least for one more season, as long as Ben is still there. Unfortunately, they'll still, they'll probably be right there with us. So. There is a scenario Jared Goff where... had a very good career. Yeah, yeah, he has. Yes, he's good. He, I mean, he's he's totally good. He's fine. There ahead, is a scenario where Dan Campbell just turns into a pumpkin. Yeah. Because uh, that I could imagine, just like any coach, your messaging is going to get stale at some point. Um, I'm not going to say that's going to happen this year. And I clearly that team loves that guy, but at some point, I think he is kind of a pumpkin. And if he lost Ben Johnson, that they might crater horribly, but they didn't. So he won't. <sighs> Brian Ziegler says, I asked in the middle of our, it's probably time to tank phase who a good free agent <laughs> get would be for the one man away scenario. Seeing as we might be closer than I expected. Who is it for you? <laughs> I think we have the same name. Paul Buddha. Oh, I don't think we can afford him. I don't either, but he would be my one that I would AP, like if I could APC, get him. APCs all fall in love with Geno Stone. Oh, Geno Stone. Day. Yes, indeed. It's just an Iowa safety uh, that is done pretty solid. He had, oh, my gosh. Seven interceptions this last season. Um, I don't know much about him, but I that buzz in the APC slack got even uh, – crazier with the news that they were interviewing that Ravens coach yes indeed and a great name you can't beat that <clears throat> yeah I agree they need they need speaking of Iowa safety they need to draft Cooper DeGene and then or DeJean <laughs> or however you say his name and then they don't have to worry about getting Buda Baker or any safeties you know they, they need they need like a difference maker on defense with the draft capital they have yeah. like a real difference maker not Quay Walker who is fine and might be better than fine eventually yeah he might also be awful and off the team soon right 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 Devontae White same thing like they need somebody who is good now (laughs) because everybody else is good now uh back to Buda Baker that's probably one of my biggest draft hits uh everyone said that guy was too small to play safety I'm like watch the film he is a psychopath he's gonna be very good draft psycho safeties is always a good thing to do oh yeah Richard Proctor says, thank you for all for the delightful podcast, and I hope you never have to field another question about Joe Barry ever again. <laughs> Unless he's the Bears I have very much enjoyed the conditioning insights. 
Matub brings to the player slash injury or player injury slash training issues. I actually have not found that anywhere else. I love it. I hope you cover the strength and conditioning coach replacement with as much fervor as the rest of Packerdom is following the DC hire. Question. What do you think it would take for the Packers to move on from Rich Bisaccia? The special teams were pretty, pretty, pretty bad. So first I'll say it. You don't have to worry about the first part because we won't be able to stop Matt from talking about it. So yeah. you will definitely get that. <laughs> yeah, like we have any any hope or any hope or possibility of shutting that down. Yes. And Bisaccia is tricky because he has a long track record of being good and the Packers have a long track record of not being good on special teams. And I don't know what you do. Like, what do you do if you move on from Rich Passaccia? Who's better? Who are you going to hire? I have absolutely no idea. I don't know how to pick a special teams coordinator. I don't know how to make this better. Um, it, it just seems bizarre. And part of it seems like kind of his nepotism hire because he is a Daniel Carlson former coach. And the Andrews pick seems like maybe that. And that's a big problem with their special teams this year was just that. Like, Whelan seems good. Coverage still seems kind of bad. Um but I don't know. I got nothing here. I don't. I think you would need an obvious path forward from Basaccia, and I don't know who that guy is. Hmm. I'm not versed in the ways of special teams yeah. coordinators. So. Same. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just have a hunch that they're going to be fine next year on special teams. I, I have no basis, no analytics. It just... It just feels like it might be variable enough that it could bounce back their way. That, but, but I don't know. You know, they moved on from guys. The uh, Dallin Levitt, that was Bisaccia's guy. Yeah, true. And then he had a horrendous week, and they're like, "Forget it, we're done with you." So it's not like they're afraid to move on from people. They have they have tried different things. They've experimented. They have they they managed to invent a pro all pro kicker out of thin air, kick return, I should say, out of thin air. So I don't know, man. I don't know. It's tough. Pat Patrick Detmer says, I'm so excited for this team's future that this is the year I'm deciding to dive headfirst into the NFL draft and learning up on all the potential draft picks. <laughs> Do you have any recommendations for content to consume or information to reference when looking at prospects? Tyler. Daniel Jeremiah and Dane Brugler are probably two of the yep. better ones. If you need a podcast, uh, a little random one, but I know we talked shit about PFF earlier. Uh, Connor Rogers and Trevor Sikkim are two awesome dudes. They do NFL stock exchange, um, which is a phenomenal draft rock, uh, podcast. Yep. And uh, fan buzz might be doing some draft content here shortly. Go uh, to Tyler's so, site, read about the draft. Please um, help me stay employed. Yeah. And also always keep an eye on the consensus board. One of the yeah. greatest things of draft season is that uh, Arif, wherever he is these days, <laughs> um, keeps an up to date average of where everybody is on everybody's draft board and so you can get a, an idea of what everybody outside of teams is thinking about them sometimes the consensus board is very wrong but it's it's good to at least keep an eye on it so you can see yep. risers and fallers dane brugler is a madman man he's I mean... so good that thing is amazing i like uh, just all the little facts uh, just leading with every single blurb with this guy was raised here by these weird relatives where he did this hobby like for everybody, how do you even find that out? It's incredible. He he is a uh, he's a monster. How many guys do you think got drafted last year that Brugler didn't know about in advance? Do you think the number is single digits, like three, it's four? Single digits. I, I think, think with all those guys, it's single digits. Yeah, I think so too. That's crazy. JD, what is a bigger need for twenty twenty four? A legit safety in the mold of Butler or Collins, or a legit inside linebacker to pair with Walker? I, for one, would love a Hall of Fame caliber safety if we could just arrange <laughs> that would for be lovely. the next Butler or Collins <laughs> to come along. 
I think this is a good time um, but, to bring up my guy. All right, do it. <clears throat> so I think you usually see stylistically with like these incredible ill tandems that they're just like different styles, right? Um, you can make Quay that kind of thumper and then draft Edger and Cooper out of Texas A&M, who Justice told me to watch uh, earlier today, and I took some time before the podcast to watch it. That boy's twitched up. That man is fast. He is so fast for a linebacker. And he plays with his hair on fire. Um, they use him as a blitzer. They use him as a spy. By the way, as a spy against mobile quarterbacks, uh, no one could do anything against him. He just is so instinctive when they start scrambling. Um, so that, plus he has excellent coverage skills and man or zone. Uh, he is a little wiry, uh, but I think he can get a little bigger. But just having that kind of guy paired with Quay, I think would be an awesome build team. Yeah. Is he a 25 guy or is he a second round guy? Like where uh, Jeremiah had him at 20 on his rankings today. Okay. Okay. I so imagine he's going he to falls that far. I imagine he's going to test very well. He might fall naturally just because he is an inside. Linebacker. Right. Sure. All right. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in too. If, if you say it, Tyler, I'm in, man. That boy, all, I, all the first like five steps. I just want that boy fast. That's uh, all I have. Yep. And they need, bo- I, they need both. They're both needs. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. I had convinced myself that they were going to take an offensive lineman in the first round, even though, you know, they do have those guys, but it felt like there was a pretty good depth of that position. And I just, it felt like safety was just not something that they would use first round capital on, even, even if they really need it. But uh, inside linebacker, I hadn't really fully considered. So I'm interested in this. Plus Walker got pretty damn good by the end of the year. I was pretty impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Price Trozen says, what would be the most plausible best case scenario for the salary cap next season? <laughs> I mean, it's a hard question to answer because you could go out and get an impact free agent and then the salary cap will be worse, but it might be okay because they will have added an impact player. But the best case scenario is probably that they don't add too much other than filler and then it completely recovers and they get Aaron completely off the books and then they roll into 2025. Uh, with a wide open cap, that's probably it. Like they've, dra- uh, we're probably cocky because the draft last year was incredible, and they didn't need to sign anybody. <laughs> and if they do that again, and they probably won't do that again because that's how luck works. But uh, if they can do that again, then clear cap and we're just amazing. That's the best case scenario, I guess. That's it. That's there's exciting thing about. There's no scenario where Bakhtiari's back, right? Maybe. <laughs> it's, I don't know. No but, scenario is too strong. Of course, there's there a scenario. Is definitely, just... um, the big problem with Bakhtiari, as I understand it, is around his injury status and yeah. um, whether there is an outstanding grievance that could be filed upon moving on from him. Like, he's got to be right and pass a physical to actually do anything with him, I think, um, if memory serves, that's correct. I don't think they can... Uh, there's griping there with Bakhtiari and how he was treated. And so there's ambiguity around their ability to move on from him in conventional means. So I think there is a chance he's back. Um, yeah. yeah. That's a $20 million savings off their cap if yep. they can part ways with him before March. So it could be a race against time if he's healthy by March. Oh, man, that's a really interesting one. There's going to be some twists and turns there. And, and it's interesting how the grievance – process could actually hold up their cap number you know like that doesn't feel like something that should have input but it, but it but it will yep. pj wessel says ding dong joe is gone would a new coordinator bring in a change from three four to four three and should they thanks for a great season can't wait for the offseason content as changes come at 12 25 lombardi 
<laughs> three, four, four, three. I don't think four three and three four matters really. Um, everybody plays a little of everything with people with their hands in the dirt and people not with their hands in the dirt and um, schemes a lot about a lot more than that. It it has much more to do with number of cover guys and size of linebackers and cover guys and they're probably fine sticking with what they got. I feel like when you do do that, um, you you gotta do a little bit of a size change on your linebackers. That's the biggest thing. Um, so I don't think the switching bases is worth it. It it's just uh, it, th- that's like a chess opening, uh, in my opinion. It's like not it's not a scheme. It's not a big anything. It's just you've decided to play this way. Now go develop off of it. I was uh, just a lad at the time, but wasn't this a big talking point with Aaron Campman? Yes, in the day? yes, it was. Boom! There we go. You are correct about that. Aaron Campman was, I believe, not happy about. Um, having to play whichever one he had to play <laughs> yeah. was it was it old with papers or is that too that doesn't matter oh man um it's been a t- time is not working for me on that i can't remember how long ago aaron Campman played. it feels like forever gosh i mean he was fun though yeah. i love that guy oh who's seven i think i don't know is bob sanders involved is bob sanders involved in that whole situation let me see here Oh, uh, now I got us in a wormhole. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, look what you did. Yeah, so he 2009 is his last year in Green Bay. So that okay. is the transition oh, wow. to Dom Capers, yes. That makes sense. Yep. Sorry, Aaron Campman. But I agree with Paul's statement. Uh, I think moving from 3-4 three, to 4-3 is more about completely changing the body types and players that you have. From a personnel standpoint, which I do not think is worthwhile, because I do still think there is talent up front. Just wanted to see, just double checking that uh, that was Sanders. Was I right about that? Yep, Bob Sanders. He was done in 08, and Capers arrived in 09. Okay, Mark Hackett, who uh, spells defense with a C, as our all European friends do, which I appreciate. I guess defense will be prioritized in the upcoming draft. Will these young players in with these young players in mind? What's your preference for a new defensive coordinator? Number one, a proven guy like Martindale or Staley with their wealth of knowledge. Or number two, an inexperienced guy like Orr or Wilson who could grow or improve along with these kids while also bringing in some new ideas. Green Bay looks set for years on offense, so this appointment is very, very important, which I agree with. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for youth at the moment. Um, you know, yeah, I'm we're, we're, we're a young team. We have a bunch of 25-year-olds. Bring me young, inexperienced, but dynamic with a lot of ideas. Yeah, give me a – I just need someone that's going to get them going on Sundays. And I know that's just like a meathead answer. <laughs> but, like, you want that new defensive coordinator. You, you want the you want the rah-rah guy. Um, so give me one of those. I'll take that. Are you seeing – are you seeing where the scheme matters less? You know, we, we talked about the Fangio thing. And, you know, one of the criticisms of a, a lot of coaches as they get older is that they just can't adjust to the times. Is it becoming more fluid where – scheme isn't even the thing you need to be married to to be successful or do you still need that like skeleton framework in place to be really good at that job at the defense coordinator job i think it's more personnel and knowing how to utilize your personnel than it is running a specific scheme yeah Hmm. okay all right last one the wizard of loneliness on blue sky what will be your lasting impression of this game and this season overall fun Fun too. Uh, I hope that's not about the 49ers game, but it probably is. But we're not going to. That that doesn't uh, exist in my brain. Anymore. I agree. Uh, my lasting impression of the season overall is going to be Jordan Love whipping a sidearm pass down the middle of the field, like an inch past an outstretched defender's arm. Uh, 
<laughs> he was good at that. Uh, that's my lasting memory. Of that. <laughs> I will remember um, Christian McCaffrey getting that last touchdown in the end zone, guys yeah. being unable to bring him down. I will remember that, but I, I mean, it, it all—it's all about what comes next, right? Like if the Packers go to a Super Bowl, then this is remembered as the 1995 season yeah. was in advance of of the Packers going in '96. That like stepping stone, you know, they showed what they were made of. They were way ahead of schedule. That wasn't the case in '95, but like in this case, ahead of schedule. Or it's the, oh, they, you know, rose up and had a missed opportunity, but then, you know, Jordan Love got hurt in 2024 and everything went whoa, downhill. Whoa, the receivers not, didn't develop. Not. You can go into a dark place real fast. But yeah. um, it, it, I, I do think it gets framed on what comes next because this wasn't supposed to be anything. This wasn't, you know, like it wasn't, there was almost no chance that this would be a missed opportunity. I think it almost became that with how well they did against San Francisco, but there's just very little, very little that was going to sting in terms of expectations. And uh, obviously it was a fun time because it was the first season divorced from expectations since, I don't know, 2008, 2009, I guess, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Probably 08. So 08. it was it was a, a nice palate cleanser, if nothing else. I'll just remember how insane the rookie class was. Because, yeah. I mean, not I mean, we talk about the receivers and all that and the tight ends, but just like even Lucas Van Ness. Yeah, Carrington the- Valentine out of nowhere was awesome. He was. Van Ness uh, at the end of the season was really impressive. Uh, yeah. Like, they were all good except for uh, Anders Carlson. That's it. Oh, don't forget Lou Nichols, who I he doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. Lou Nichols is the only guy who doesn't make this roster. Grant Debose is the only other guy who didn't see active roster. Play. He was on the active roster, didn't see the field. So that's ridiculous. When the draft class is like fourteen dudes or whatever it was, thirteen dudes. Yeah. Crazy, crazy hit rate on the on success there. Yeah. So insane. And a UDFA that did pretty solid. And Malik Heath. Yeah. It's right. Pretty- and Bo Melton, who isn't a rookie, but it was like signed off the street. Felt like it. <laughs> yeah, felt like a rookie and, and also becomes a big contributor. So really, uh, really great. Really special season in that regard. Yeah. All right. We're done before we go. I'm done. Tyler, anything you want to plug? Uh, just read fanbuzz.com. I'm sorry if you're overseas because uh, we have, for some reason, legal issues where you cannot read outside the United States. <laughs> Banned um, in Europe. Go check out Tyler's site. Uh, other than that, uh, support Carmel High School if you're in the state. I don't know how you do that. But, uh, pretty excited about this upcoming year. Uh, I think I might have an exciting announcement by the time the season comes around. So. Nice. All right. Pre-congratulations, maybe. Um, <laughs> JR, you got anything you want to throw out there? Uh, pretty slow. I think I'm going to go to Lambeau for Brian Gutekunst's press conference this week, whenever that is. I think it's Thursday. Um, so we'll see if there's anything interesting there. And then... I don't know, man. It's yeah. bas- college basketball. We've got bracketology now. We've got baseball offseason. Is, is gonna, we're going to hit the spring training soon. So uh, obviously the Bucks are in full swing. They have a new coach. So there's there's <laughs> other Wisconsin sports things to uh, to keep me occupied until uh, football rolls back around. Yep. I can't believe the Bucks have a new coach. That was wild. What a week. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, for me, uh, I, I, my final Shepherd Express column of the year is in, and go check that out. Uh, I, I sang on YouTube. Go check that out. And, oh, uh, God. <laughs> uh, you can find that at APC and, and on my YouTube channel, which is Badger Noonan. And uh, there will be a mini pod on Friday. I, I got way behind, and I had to get over my 
hatred of PFF's Packer trades, but there will, in fact, be a mini pod on Friday. So check that out as well. But that'll do it for us. Um, might take a little break here, mostly because I need sleep really badly. Uh, but, you know, we'll be back uh, doing our normal off-season cadence if things happen for the draft. Uh, you know, we do once a month every so often. So uh, that'll do it for us. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening, for asking questions, uh, for uh, being patrons, for doing question priority, and for the mini pod. And for all the feedback on the mini pod, you guys really seem to like it. I also really appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, that'll do it for us. So uh, do enjoy the Super Bowl if we don't talk to you before then. And uh, we'll be back when something Packer related happens. Good things for you.